Well, ain't that cute. Why don't you grow up? There's a change that happens, isn't there? I mean, some things that are cute at the beginning are not so cute when we get older. There's a growth and a change that is expected between infancy and adulthood. And that change needs to happen, whether we're talking about our life growing up from infancy to adult, or whether when we're thinking about love and and the growth that happens in love. If you're an old person, I remember being in England, sitting in my nana and granddad's house in the cottage. That was 200 Sansal Cottage, idyllic. Uh, Sarah always says, you realize you grew up in a fairy tale. There we were, you know, nestled in England. I remember Donny Osmond on TV. And they call it puppy love. I remember sitting there as a little boy and asking my nana, what's puppy love? Because I knew from the song it didn't have to do with puppies. It was about something else. But nana explained, well, you know, when you're young, you have little crushes, but eventually it grows up. So we need to grow up and, and grow in our love. We need to grow in our faith, don't we? We need to grow in our practice and our understanding of community and what it is to be bound together in Jesus and how that is lived out and how we act in all of these things. There's an expected growth that happens. You know, as I was meditating on this uh, portion of the epistle that we're looking at, the letter we're looking at, which really has to do in many ways with contrasting infancy with maturity. Whether we're talking about as individuals or as a faith community. And I started thinking about what does a mature Christian look like? We've got this theme to grow up. What what does a grown-up, a grown-up Christian look like? What are the characteristics? What are the practices? What does it actually mean to grow up in Christ? And what does it mean to be a, a properly, fully formed church? For a faith community that's adult in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the world, what, is, what does that mean? And, and what part do we have to play this? So I want to look at, at kind of three questions today. The first one is, is what does a grown-up look like? And in this passage that we're going to look at, there's, there's some great descriptors of what a grown-up looks like. And the second thing is, what part do we play in growing up? I mean, there's a part that, you know, obviously it's all dependent upon the Holy Spirit and and God's action within us. He grows us up. But just like growing up physically, there's a part that we play, right? We eat good food. We get enough rest. We get some exercise out there going on. All of these things to grow up healthily with a participation that we have as well. And so it is with our faith and as a church. What is the part that we have to play in that? And thirdly, what difference... Are we supposed to make and how do we make that difference? Grow up and make a difference, our theme for the year. It comes out of this passage, actually, that we're looking at in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. That is in Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. We grow up into Christ, true thing, speaking, living the truth in love. All right, so. We're going through the Ephesians, and now we come to a a big sort of division in the chapter. In the first three chapters, uh, Paul has been describing all the marvelous and amazing things that God has done. He's been talking about how uh, the glory of God is our salvation, how the wisdom of God is shown in the church, how the glory of God is shown in the church, all that Christ has done, all of these things. He's saying this is what God has achieved in Jesus Christ. And we spent three chapters thinking about and celebrating the glory of this. And now in the last half of the book, Paul's going to talk about how we live into that reality. 
God has set up this situation. God has created these things. But how, how is it then that we live into these things? How do we experience the truths of the first three chapters? And so chapter 4, verse 1, really is a, is a verse that could stand for the whole rest of the book. It's not just this section. Really, it's, it's kind of the whole book. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And what the whole rest of the three chapters is about is how do we live out this glory? How do we live out this great thing that God has done? What are the, the, the ways in which they should be seen and evidenced and lived out and experienced in our life as individuals and as a church? Actually, the, the verse actually begins with the word therefore. In other words, he's saying is, God's done all this glorious stuff. Therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. That word, urge you, it's kind of an interesting word. It's really quite a powerful word. It's, it, 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 it's a push. But what's interesting about it is, is it's a very strong word. It's a, you know, a, a big push. But at the same time, it is a word that is sort of highly relationally. It is a strong word of a friend. You can see this actually if you go to the book of Philippians. You know, Philippians, Paul, he's got this buddy, Onesimus, who was a slave. He was kind of the runaway slave from Philemon. And, and so Paul writes to Philemon and says, hey, you know, he, he's been a good guy to me and all these things. And this is kind of, this is what Paul says. He says, listen, I could command you. I'm an apostle. You owe me your salvation. And I could command you to treat Onesimus well, to receive him well. But I don't want to do that. I want to urge you as a friend, as a favor to me. I want to ask you in the strongest language that I can think of as a friend, treat Onesimus well. And this is Paul saying to you and saying to me, this is God saying, listen, I just want to urge you as a friend. I just want to come alongside of you and, and give you the friendliest push that I can give you. I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Live a life worthy. Hmm, that sounds kind of heavy, doesn't it? It sort of sounds a little bit like God's got this measuring tape and, and boy, you better measure up because if you don't measure up, you are going to be in deep trouble. And, and we can get it so that it's a bit of a scurry word for it. I suppose there's a smidgen of that, but that's really not what, what it's all about. You know, I really like what Daryl Johnson had to say in one of the lectures that I was listening to on this, on this passage. He said, literally, what this word means is, is uh, to bring about a balance in the beam of the scales. See, you got that picture, the scales? And what he's saying is, is that, look, God has done this glorious thing. God has done the amazing things that he's talked about in these three chapters. And now what I want you to do is I want you to live that out. And to bring your life into congruence. Bring your life into alignment. Bring your life into suitability of what it is to live out the joy of the things that God has done in us and for us in Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, listen, I'm, I'm asking you as a friend, I'm asking you in the strongest possible way, bring your life into congruence. Make your life, make your church look like this glorious, marvelous, gracious, kind, wonderful thing that God has done in Jesus. 
Bring the bounce beam up. Make your life look like that. Live it out with joy. But understand this. Even though it's a joy to do it, there's a cost to it. Did you notice how Paul sort of, for you know, the second or third time, he says, I, Paul, as a prisoner of the Lord. And what he's saying is, listen, you need to understand that to live out our faith, there's a cost. It has cost me being a prisoner of the Lord. I mean, Rome thinks they've got me as prisoner, but I'm not. It's not. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm a prisoner because Jesus has put me here, because he wants to achieve some things in and through me as a prisoner, as I appear eventually before Caesar himself. But understand, if we're going to live out a life that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called, make no mistake, there's a cost. There's a cost. But we're willing to pay the cost because it is God who calls us. It's the living God of the universe that called your name. That called you and enveloped you in his love and in his grace. And put his arms around and says, listen, I'm calling you to do this. And there's going to be a cost and it's not going to be easy. There's going to be joy, but there's going to be some imprisonment too, so to speak. But we're willing to do it because God himself has called us to this. And so as we kind of go through this, this little section here, I'd like to say, there's going to be a whole bunch of things that are the marks of a grown-up Christian and a grown-up church. But maybe just listen to the Holy Spirit as he whispers to your heart about one way, one cost that you're willing to pay to grow in one particular way over these next couple of weeks. Can you do that? There's going to be a bunch of stuff, but but I assure you the Spirit wants to speak to you. He wants to just twinge in your heart. Hey, this is what I want you to work on that one. This is where I'm working in the area of your life right now. So just be, be kind of listening for that. All right, let's, let's take a look and begin to see what a grown-up in the Lord looks like. The first thing is, a grown-up Christian and a grown-up church has the character to make every effort to maintain unity. All right, let's read it. The first, the first six verses here. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling I've received. Okay, here it is. Here's the first part of being a life. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity. Be passionate about it. Let's make every effort. Be hardcore passionate about keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So the first mark of a grown-up Christian is that we've got the character traits and the practices in our life that maintain unity. You know, it's really interesting to me when when he starts out and says, hey, listen... I want you to live a life that is worthy of your calling. I want you to live a life that balances out the good that God has done. And I don't know about you, but I I sort of expect the first thing that he talks about would be some ethical things. You know, I don't dance and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do and all that kind of stuff that some of us were raised with. But he doesn't. Instead of this kind of language, what he uses is, is, is some incredibly relational words. 
The first thing he says about a Christian who's grown up is that we relate well. And he's got some of these amazing things that are supposed to be characteristic of my life. First of all, he says, listen, you need to be humble. Now, we've, you know, humble in our society, we kind of like to be humble. He's a humble guy and everyone thinks isn't that good. But you need to understand that in the Greek culture to which Paul was writing, humility was an insult. If somebody called you humble, that was an insult. As a matter of fact, you can go back and you can read in some of the Greek writings, and when they accused leaders of being humble, rebellions were about to happen because they were saying, this guy shouldn't be our leader because he's humble. What use is a humble leader? It was an insult. You see, for us, we've got this distinction. We talk about, you know, humility versus humiliation, Right? And it's okay to have humility, but nobody wants to be humiliated, right? You don't want to be looked down upon. You don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want to be all those things. For these guys, it was the same thing. And so this is a shocking statement for these reasons. Okay, let me get this right. The first thing that we need to have as a characteristic as a grown-up Christian is something that the rest of the world is going to say, that's really embarrassing. Humility. A true sense of who we are in Christ and in relationship with each other. Secondly, he says, listen... Equally crazy, I want you to be gentle. You know what the idea of that is? I want you to be without power. Think that through. You know, one of the, it's, it's amazing. I was thinking about this over this last few weeks. You know, one of the things that we, we think about to bring, maintain unity, whether it's in a marriage or in the church or in society, whatever it is, is you sort of think, well, you know, what needs to happen is that those who are, who are weak need to be empowered. When Paul says, no, 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 those who are powerful need to be disempowered. Opposite. This is radical stuff. This is God saying, listen, if you want to be a grown-up Christian, whatever power you have, whether it's social power, political power, economic power, age power, structural power, whatever, if you're a grown-up Christian, you are gentle. You, you, you give away that power. You do not use that power to push through your agenda. This is, this is shocking stuff. So a grown-up Christian is humble, they're gentle, and they are patient. Lord, help me. Lord Jesus, help me. You know, I didn't have this in my notes, so I wasn't going to whine about this, but I got these cataracts. So I went to see the, you know, the dude that slices them out there. (laughs) Actually, it was Dr. Z, she's a woman. And she said, well, you know, here's the paperwork, and... And it says right in there, you know, you get done at the hospital, so don't call for three to five months. Okay, so five months goes by. I call up the hospital. Hey, you know, there's the, who? Alan Jones. What's your phone now? Did about? You're not on any list, man. <laughs> Patience. The word means making allowance for others. <sighs> A grown-up Christian makes allowances for other people. <laughs> a grown-up Christian that has the character that, that makes every effort to maintain unity and relational harmony within the church and even with society is one who bears people in love. And here's the thing. Love is not a theory. 
Love is not just some nice words or nice ideas that we have. Love, real love, is really specific with specific people in specific times in specific circumstances. You know, I think it's so easy for us as Christians. It's so easy for us as a church. Love, 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 love. Sing about it, think about it, talk about it. Do it. Well, yeah, as long as they're okay. It's not a theory. It's specific and it's active and it's real and it's relational. And it happens in the midst of the heat of conflict and struggle and strife and life. Well, should we just sit down now? Because that's enough to work on. <laughs> All right. So these, these character qualities, God says they're essential for unity. And God has brought them into existence, this unity. And so we live it out now. This unity, he says that you have to maintain every effort to maintain it. And then, he, and then he has this whole big deal there about the one statements. And this, this, the, the scholars tell us, these are the theological foundations of our unity. This whole kind of a deal, you know. There is one body, one spirit, just as you call to one hope, one call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Father of all who's over all. One, 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 one. This unity. But you know what's staggering about this? Several of the commentators point this out. It didn't dawn on me, but do you notice how it's kind of upside down? I mean, even if you think about the Trinity, how do we normally say it? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? In this oneness, everything's backwards. Because what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, you know, this is really, really important. And you know what he puts first? The church. You know what he puts last? The Father. Because he wants this to shock us. He wants us to say, what? Because he's trying to say, listen, you guys, you need to understand for the church to be mature, for it to be a mature church, There needs to be unity. There needs to be oneness. There needs to be getting along. There needs to be these characteristics of character that we've talked about already because it is so important. I'm going to put it first in the list because a grown-up Christian makes every effort to passionately seek the unity of the church. And a grown-up, mature church maintains its unity even when we disagree on everything from politics to COVID to race, gender, color, whatever. One. Well, the importance of unity is important. But then he goes on and says, but this unity doesn't mean it's all the same. And so he kind of goes into now in verse 7 with, with some diversity within that unity. So the second thing I want to say about a, about a grown-up Christian is a grown-up Christian is one who receives gifts of grace from Christ. Let's take a look at what it says here. But to each one of us, you see, that's individual. That's what he's saying. He's, he's saying, okay, we've got this unity thing going on. But now to each one of you, to you, Alan, to you, Glenn, to each one of us, a grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. 
What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower level, the earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, it started off with the grace that, is, the grace that has been given to each one. Now, here's what you need to understand. He's not talking about saving grace here. We're all saved by grace through faith, not of works, and no one's supposed to We've seen that, right? That whole, that whole thing. This, he's not talking about saving grace. What he's talking about here is the grace of what verse 8 goes on to call a gift. We tend to call them spiritual gifts. This grace is a divinely given ability by the empowered by the Holy Spirit in order for us to make a difference in the world. So that's the grace that he's talking to. Now, verse 8, oh, man, it is really, really, really controversial. And the reason it's controversial is because it looks like Paul is quoting Psalm 68. The problem is he screws it up. Ooh, can you say that? The problem is he messes it up. He uses the wrong word. Because in Psalm 68, it talks about how God is victorious and he ascends on high and he receives gifts. In other words, he receives uh, tribute. He, he gets stuff given to him because now he's the Lord. But Paul changed it now and said, no, listen, this Jesus who has ascended on high, he's talking about the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. This Jesus, he gives gifts. And so there's all kinds of arguments that Paul messed it up because he's not really quoting it, all of those different things. You don't curse, so I won't go into it. But let me say this. What everyone agrees with in the bottom line is this. Is that Christ has won the great victory. And the result and the consequence of the great victory which Christ has won. Is that he has ascended on high above all of his enemies. And he is in a position to use that same power to give you a gift of grace. To apportion to you a gift of grace. To apportion to you some kind of ability that's going to make a difference in the kingdom world. He's ascended on high and he stands in victory and gives an ability to you as Christ has apportioned it. Now that's kind of a funky little phrase, isn't it? What does it mean as Christ has apportioned it? Well, Lynn Kohick, one of the people I listen to the lectures on Ephesians, I love it. She gives this illustration. She says, I want you to have this image of a man standing in the middle of an ocean. It's Unlimited ocean, right? It's as far as you can see. Unlimited ocean. And he's standing there with a great big picture. And then one by one, we walk up to this man, Jesus. And we hold out our picture. And he takes and he pours and fills up that picture. And we all come with different sized pictures. So we've got big pictures, so we've got little pictures. But whatever it is, Christ fills that up from this unlimited supply of power and ability. He fills up your picture. You see, the whole thing is, what he does is, it says, as Christ is apportioned, what Christ does is he looks at you as an individual and he looks at us as a church. And he knows what it is that this church and what you and what I as an individual are supposed to achieve, the plan he has for your kingdom work. And he fills you up with everything that's necessary to achieve what God wants you to achieve. What an amazing thing. Yeah. That 
God knows you and he knows his plan for you. He knows your opportunities. He knows the abilities that he's placed within you. He, he knows the structure within which you're going to live. He knows the positions that you're going to hold, all of these things. And from this great big ocean of unlimited grace and power that caused him to ascend on high, he fills you up with the Holy Spirit to achieve that purpose. He looks at us and he knows our life and our ministry and he considers what he wants to partner with us in it. And he gives us that ability. What an amazing thing that is. Uh, you know, it, it's quite the deal. Because you see, once God gives you a gift, we're not supposed to neglect it, are we? I mean, what hurts us more? You know, you give somebody a gift and they, thanks very much. Well, I'll pick it out of the garbage, I can use it. Same thing, God gives us a gift. You know, I remember when I was in Bible college, telling you these ancient history stories, and a bunch of us were sitting around. We were all going to be preachers, you know, in our household. We lived in households there. We didn't have dorms. We had to, anyway, so we're all around, and we're talking about this guy by the name of Alan Dunbar. I just, thought, I just remembered this this morning, actually, when I was practicing this stuff up. And I remember, now, Alan Dunbar is one of these guys that makes you sick. Because a sucker could do anything. He'd won a scholarship to be a concert pianist in Europe. Instead, he decided to go to Bible college and become a preacher. A phenomenal musician. A great preacher. He started a TV show that you know, reached hundreds and hundreds of people. I mean, he's just one of these guys that everything he touches turns to gold because of his gifting, you know. He ends up in the North America, all these different things. And a bunch of us are sitting around here, and, you know, you know you're like 20, 21 years old, and you're kind of jealous of this guy. Well, you know, I'm going to do this, maybe I can do this. And one of the guys who's a bit older than us says, hey, guys, do you really want to be responsible for that much gifting? <laughs> oh. Maybe I'll be mean but one thing. <laughs> you see, this is the thing. God looks at you and he knows your capacity and he gives you a gift equal to your capacity and he expects you to use it. And some of us have got a little bit of capacity and some of us have got a late big capacity and that's okay. God apportioned as it is and some of us, the more capacity you have, the more God expects of you for the kingdom of God. It's quite that simple. We're responsible for these graces that God gives us to advance the kingdom, his kingdom, not just ours. We're responsible for these gifts of grace, these graces that God gives us. Because you see, that's how God wants us to make the difference. Whatever your capacity is, God says, listen, that's the difference I want you to make in this world and in this body. I've given you everything that you need to step up and carry out my plan for your life. I've given you that grace. And now you just get to choose whether or not you're going to use it. Now we have these gracious gifts. But the thing about them is that they need to be honed. They start off kind of raw. But they need to be home. But don't worry, God's taking care of that. Because the, the next thing about a grown-up Christian is that a grown-up Christian and a grown-up church equips and is equipped to serve. A grown-up Christian equips and is equipped to serve. Let's read on a little bit here, verses 11 and 12. So Christ himself, okay, this is this, as Christ apportioned it, he's dipping in the barrel. So Christ himself gives, gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So God gives certain people to the church. Why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. All right, the mature Christian, the grown-up Christian, the mature church equips and is equipped to serve. Now, actually, the truth is, verses 11 through 16 in your Bible, that's one great, big, long, complicated Greek sentence. But we're going to try and break it up a little bit for us because it gets really... So let's break it up. So the first thing is, is let's think first of all about this whole deal about those who equip and are equipped. This is called it in different ways. You know, some people call it the five-fold ministry. Uh, some people call it a pest because it, you know, it spells it. And he says, listen, here's, here's some of the people that I'm going to give the church to equip them. Now, this a pest, different people, they have arguments as to what he means by it. Some people say, well, you know, this is actually a, a historical description of the church. And it began with the apostles and the prophets spoke into it and they built upon it and now we're in these things. And other people said, no, 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 no. Don't you understand that each one of those gifts, each one of those people has to do with the word of God and, and giving people the word of God and it's all about the Bible. And, and other people say, no, 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 no. Actually what it is, is that this is talking about the priesthood and uh, the priest and the ministry the priest is supposed to have, you know, is supposed to do all of these things and, and this is how they serve the church. They're all wrong. Well, they might be right. <laughs> I get the wrong. Because it seems to me, and many others, that this is a fivefold ministry to equip every Christian to serve using that gift of grace that God has given you. To hone your gifting. To hone your participation in the ministry and in the church and in the world. It's a description of how the church should be structured and functioned. The mature church has these people functioning and working so that the church can grow up and make the difference that God wants the church to make. So what are these people? Well, first of all, there's apostles. Apostles, that just means sent out once. But the idea is that these are groundbreakers. These are the women and men who sort of go into places that, that hasn't been. They, they see a need, a ministry, something that needs to happen. And they jump in the pool, whether it's hot or cold. And they jump in the water and they say, come on in. Here's a place, here's a sphere of society that, that God wants to make a difference in. And I'll go in first because the rest of you guys are chicken. Jump in first. That's an, that's an apostle. The prophets, they receive a word from the Lord. And they apply the word of the Lord. And they call people back to faithful living. It's a prophetic action. God is saying we're going to do this and this is how we're supposed to do it. Come on, you guys, let's go. Evangelists are those simply who, who just share the good news, right? That's what we all know gospel. Evangelist means bearer of good news. That's it. They just take the good news of Jesus to those people that don't know it. Shepherds, a pest. Shepherds or pastors. And they're kind of what you think they would be. They're, they're shepherds. They look after the needs of the church. They look after the people. They, they keep the herd together. They beat off the wolves and all of that kind of stuff. You know, it leads me down in green pastures. It leads me in quiet waters, all of that whole thing. And finally, the teachers. These are the people who labor in the word, in the Bible, teaching how it's lived out. Now, the problem is, a problem is that most of us as churches, as congregations, we sort of major in one or two of these and leave others neglected. You look at our church, well, I guess you can guess which we lay major in. 
there's this whole, this whole deal, you know, of, 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 of teaching and, 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 and hopefully, you know, we've got some pastors that look after people. But other churches in town, you can, name, you can name them off. That's an apostolic church. That's a professing church. You can name them off. The point is that what God's trying to say is, guys, 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 every congregation has these people. Every congregation has these people and these people need to be allowed to use their gifts. They need to be allowed to use this grace that God has put. Because if you're going to fire on all cylinders as a church, if you're going to be growing up as a church, all of these suckers are going to need to be working. Problem is, we fight with each other. Because you've got apostles. Judge! And the pastors, hey, just wait. These people are hurting. These people have got stuff going on in their life. We can't, we can't fight yet. And the teachers, that's right. But before the teacher gets to speak, the prophets, what are you talking about? I'm saying God is calling us into this area. He will supply the need. Let us go. And the teachers, whoa, 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 whoa. Not only are these guys hurt, but they don't have a clue what they're doing. We've got to teach these people first. And then when they've got a clue what's going on, then we can go in. And the apostles, he's going nuts. And she's freezing to that because now she's in the water by herself. She's trying to get everyone else in, but nobody's going. And so what happens is that these giftings, these people end up being dispersed and then they start their own churches. And you got, you know, the church of Christ, oh yeah, we teach the word of God. And, you know, and the people, oh yeah, we're really good at, you know, evangelism. Whatever thing's got going on. And God's like, oh, you guys could be so much more. If you just allow all of these people to exercise the grace that I've given them. And there's going to be little emphases. But you've got to work together. Because when all five of these gifts are working together, then the church grows up. Then the church really makes a difference. So figure it out. Figure it out. Figure it out. Now, what's interesting is that you look at these five gifts and you always think about them as the leaders of the church, don't you? As like kind of the upfront, upfront people in the church. What's really interesting, though, if you think about it, these are actually just supported gifts for the real work that you guys do. If you're not an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. God's saying, that, listen, I'm going to put these people and I'm going to give them to the church so that they can equip everybody else, so that they can help other people hone their skills to do the real work which happens out there. You guys are just supported. You are under all of these other people, helping them live out the graces that I have given them. Now, got those yellow cards. So, you know, you got a bunch of teachers and pastors and all this stuff. If, if you know, it's always a, a trick. Like we sit around, and we literally spend hours over a year figuring out, okay, how can we help folks mature in their faith? Can we teach this class? Can we give this experience? Whatever it is. You can help us help you by just fill that sucker out and say, hey, you know what? This is how you can help me hone my gift. I, I think that I'm an apostle. I see an area in the city that, that needs the touch of God's grace. And I figure I'm supposed to make a difference there, but I'm terrified because I don't know what I'm doing and I don't need the encouragement or whatever. And so I just need someone to come and help me be the apostle God's called me to be. 
or I'm fed up listening to Jones, I think I'm a teacher. Can you, can you get me on the stage instead of him for a while? How, how can we hone your gift? So if you know how your gifts can be honed, or you don't know, but you need help in it, just put it on that yellow card and put it in there, and we'll try not to ignore it. We'll try and do some follow-up somehow with that. All right, now, how are you guys doing? Almost done. Well, almost, almost done. Next, the mature person in the faith, the grown-up Christian, has a mature faith and knowledge. Has mature faith and knowledge. Let's take a look at it. Verse 13. So these guys, these apostles and teachers and prophets, all these, they, they do these works of service until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, we grow up, attaining to him the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, in order to grow up into Christ. Now, this, this blew me away, this verse, because what I first thought it meant was, well, yeah, you know, we're going to grow up and we're all going to get to know God very well and we're all going to grow in our faith and that's going to be a cool thing. We're going to trust Jesus more. But Daryl Johnson, <laughs> he said, no, that, that's not what it's talking about at all. This is what it's talking about. The grown-up Christian has the same amount of faith as Jesus. The grown-up Christian has the same knowledge of the Father as does Jesus. That's a high bar, man. But that's what it's saying. He's saying that when the church works well, then what happens is, is that we all get to the place where we have the same depth of faith as Jesus and we are so intimate with the Father. We have the same intimacy with the Father and the same heart knowledge and head knowledge and life knowledge as the Father, uh, of the Father as Jesus does. What an amazing thing to have a grown-up Christian. When I'm grown up, I'm going to have the same faithful, obedient trust that Jesus has. I'm going to have the same faith and trust in Jesus that no matter what's going on in life, God is in control and it's going to be okay and I can be hanging on the cross and just say to God, into thy hands I deliver my spirit. That's the faith of Jesus. That's the faith that God says, I want to give you. I want to build in your life. I want you to, to live out so that you are faithfully, loyally obedient even when the going gets really, really rough. You know, Hebrews verse, chapter 5, verse 8, said this, that Jesus learns obedience by his suffering. I never really think about Jesus needing to learn much. But he, Jesus grew in his faithful obedience through suffering, through tough times through seeing that God would somehow come through for him. And the chances are that, that to, to grow up and to have the faith of Jesus, our greatest opportunities are when we suffer, when we hurt, when it's confusing, when things fall apart, when we wonder where God is, when we don't know what to do. And we just sort of throw our faces and, and say, Lord, I'm suffering, but I, I want to stay faithful to you. And in that, in that, in that action, the Spirit matures us as we continue to look to him in spite of the pain in our heart and in our life. That's how our faithful obedience grows, how our trust grows. It's not a nice message. I don't really like that. I kind of would wish that my faith would grow in some other ways. 
But even Jesus had to go through that to grow in his obedience and faith. And then it says that, that you know, not only that, but the grown-up Christian has the same knowledge of God as Jesus. We, we have the, can have that same intimacy with the loving Father that Jesus the Son had. And we think about how did Jesus do that? Well, man, he was into the Word. He was into the Old Testament. He knew it. Remember the whole thing with the temptation? He knew it. We see Jesus going and setting aside time alone in the mountains to pray. We see Jesus in the midst of those tough times praying, Father, into your hands. Father, I don't want to do this. If this cup, take it from me. And so prayer, he gets to know the Father through prayer. We get to know the Father, of course, as we've said, through obedience. And we're saying to the grown-up Christian that God wants to give you in your heart and in your mind and in your life the same knowledge, the same intimacy of the Father that the Son has. That kind of blows me away. Well, we're getting close to the end, verses 14 and 15. The next, the next sign of a, of a mature, of a grown-up Christian is one who stands firm in the truth. Hmm. So when we're grown up, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love. The word actually it says truthing in love. It's this idea of not, not just speaking, but living out the truth. Truthing in love. But instead, truthing in love will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. These are really tough verses. You see, in an unashamed culture, to be called an infant was a profound insult and, and title of shame. And Paul's saying to, to his Ephesians, listen, quit being infants. It's not cute. It's not acceptable. It's not satisfactory. Grow up. Grow up into this maturity that I've made the way for you to be. You have a choice to grow up or to face the shame of remaining an infant as a church, as a community, as a person. You know, I've got to tell you, this, this section right here is, is the great, great, great heart-aching, wrenching challenge for me. It really is. I wrestle with it all the time. Because it, it, <laughs> even in the passage, there's, there's kind of this conflict. On one hand, it's got this whole thing about, you know, be humble. Bear with one another in love. Truthing in love. And yet at the same time, there's this command that, listen, you need to stand on the truth of God's word. That's not easy when you love people. It isn't. At least not for me. You know, Lynn Cohen again, I've quoted her several times, but this, this lecture was pretty good that she had. Right? She says this, listen, sometimes the humanism that is driven today is driven at the expense of solid doctrine. 
what she's talking about is, you know, society, it, it, all kinds of language about acceptance and diversity and, and all, of these, all of these things. And there's, there's, there's sort of a good heart. And you can look at it sociologically. I can tell you some of the authors and that some of this stuff grows out of the Christian heritage. But what, what Koek's saying is that sometimes because we want to love people, because we do love people, we find ourselves compromising the truth. I told you before, way back when I was learning, you know, with my big eyeball thing that Dave made for me there. Well, they said, Jones, you're never, you're going to make, you are never going to make it in ministry, man, because your heart for people and your theology are going to be in constant conflict and you, you're not going to make it in your church because you care too much about people. Somehow, and I'm, man, I'm a long way from there, somehow, somehow the, the grown-up Christian is able to stand on the truth of God's word and have an arm of grace and an arm of love outstretched to embrace everybody without compromising the truth. And when it comes to flesh and blood, it's not easy to do. But somehow we got to figure it out. Because if you ask the world what the church is, we are bigoted, hate-filled, fearful, arrogant, Close shop, out of touch, fools. Because somehow, we sort of get into this mess where we're either tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes along. Yeah, I guess that's okay. Okay, let's have, let's have troubles now or whatever the thing's called. Or else we stand on this truth and somehow become this harsh, arrogant, impatient, unwilling to bear one another in love people. I, I have a hard time knowing how to do it. I really do. Hurts my back. But the mature Christian somehow is able to stand firm in the truth while being patient and loving and kind and generous and all of those things that the church is to be. Well, finally, the grown-up Christian, verse 16 says, fits into a growing body. Fits into a growing body. For him, the whole body, that's the church, the body of Christ, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work, as each part lives out its grace. You see, the whole thing is that, that we all play our part using our gifts of grace to serve and we bring about the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. There's no such thing as a mature Christian who, who lives just by themselves, cut off from the body because 
whatever reason, we've been hurt, or we are smarter than them, or, or we've been let down, or we're so frustrated because I'm an apostle and the pastor won't let us go. Whatever the deal is. The poor thing is, that, no, listen, you need to understand that the grown-up Christian is part of a body, a functioning body that is making a difference in the world because the difference you will make as part of the body is tenfold what you'll make by yourself. It, it kind of sounds like a challenge, doesn't it? That the, the grown-up Christian will be all of these different things, including being a part of the body. But what's really interesting is that what verse 16 says is that Christ has given us everything we need to grow ourselves up. It's kind of a weird thing. Put the, can you put that verse up? For, for him, the whole body joined together, held together, several elements. Look at this. Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's like we are responsible to grow ourselves up in love. And yet it's the same thing. It's saying that, listen, everything comes from Christ who is the head. He's the source of all that's going on. So what Jesus is saying is that, listen, the person that I've called you to be, the church that I've called you to be, I have given you every single thing that you need to grow up. Every single thing that you need to make the difference in the world, in your workplace, in your schools, in your neighborhood, in your family. In your, I've given you everything that you need, but you've just got a whole gang, a gang together and work together on this. And then you'll make the difference that I called you as an individual and as a church to make. Okay, I'm done. Well, that's quite a pile. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to just go back, and I'm just going to kind of pray through the, these growth things. Because the good thing about growing is that God, you know, grows us at the pace that he wants. And so as we go, I just, I just want to ask you to be sensitive to the Spirit, because the Spirit, he wants to come and just sort of tweak your heart a little bit on, on one thing, one way, one endeavor, one cost you want to pay this week to grow up just a little bit more. So I'm going to kind of pray through it and you just be listening to the Spirit and you, you mark down in your heart or on your paper, whoever it is, okay, this is what the Spirit's calling me to, to grow up in in this week, okay? Okay, so let, let's pray and just, just one thing. You just need one thing, okay? Holy Spirit, we come before you because we want to grow up and um, there's, a, there's a price to growing up. There's a price. But you have given us this calling, and so it's worth the price. So Holy Spirit, just come and speak to us now as individuals. For some of us, for some of us, we we've got this whole thing that you need to form our character so that I'll become a person of unity and not division. For some of us, we need to become humble. Because we just sort of figure that we know the way and everyone better get on board. For some of us, we need to learn to be gentle and not use power of position or anger or whatever. There's guys like me that need to learn about patience and to, to make allowances for others because I don't know what's going on in their life.
Some of us need to bear others in love, not just love in theory, but a specific person in a specific time, in a specific circumstance. Maybe it's somebody that we've got to confront at work tomorrow. And we don't know how we're going to get along with them, but somehow, somehow I need to bear them in love. And that's how you want to grow me up this week. For some of us, we need to recognize that you've given us a gift of grace, that you've dipped into that immeasurable store of power and you've poured that into us according to what you have in mind for us. And we need to just accept that this is this gift of grace, that God has called me to do this. He's given me this ability and he's giving me this ability to make a kingdom difference. And some of us need to have that gift honed. To be invited to join an apostle. To have a prophet say, you know, I, I, I see this in you. I see God acting in this way in you. Can I just encourage you to keep doing it more and more and more? Some of us evangelists and we just have opportunity to share the good news, but we're not sure how to get into words and we need a teacher to come along and help us. And some of us have got a broken heart and we need a pastor, a shepherd to just come and lay us down beside those still waters and keep us in pastures green for a while to a healed up, to take up the fight again. And some of us need to be taught the word truths and some of us are apostles and we've been afraid to break into that cold water because we're scared to do it alone or something I'm not sure how it's going to work we need to go and some of us are prophets and we need to hook up with the shepherd so that we make sure that our pastor or prophetic word is not damaging to people but is a a word of love and encouragement and build up the body. Some of us are those pastors who just see the emptiness of somebody's eyes and just know they need somebody to be with them. And Lord, we need teachers. We need teachers for adults, we need teachers for kids, we need teachers for youth. I just pray for those who have the grace of teaching that you just touch their hearts. And Lord, I bet you every one of us needs to grow in faith, that we would have the faith of Jesus, the faith to be passionate about the mission you've given us, To faith to say, Lord, I don't want to do this. <laughs> if this cup could pass, that'd be really good. But nevertheless, your will, not mine. I'm going to step out trusting you support me. And we need to increase our faith. And some of us, we just have a passing knowledge of you, Father. And we need to be in prayer and in the word and in fellowship and know you more. 
God is standing firm in the truth with love and grace. To not be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine and season of society, but to stand firmly in your truth and yet be a man, a woman, a church of love and grace. We so desperately need to learn how to do this, God. We just so desperately need to reverse the reputation of the church and your people. Because we haven't stood for truth in gracious and loving ways all too often. Help us, transform us, show us. And Lord, some of us are about giving up on the body. And we figure, oh, I just, I, uh, I don't want that. I don't be associated with that. I've been hurt by that. I'm going to go me and Jesus. And you need us, you want us, you equip us to, to tie back into the church, into the body. And to bear with one another and to make allowances for one another and to receive from you, Jesus, what we need to function well so that this church, this grand prayer church of Christ can grow up in all maturity and make a difference with the good news of grace and truth and love. So tweak our heart, spirit, then give us the courage and the discipline to follow through. We pray through Christ. Amen.